Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mark. Hey. Mark, it's Ro- uh, Rosenberg? Rosenberg, yeah. Cool. The deadliest lift. <laughs> yeah i think you might have the best uh tag name out there right now and honestly in it, it, at first i thought it would be just like a pun on deadliest catch a discovery show and <laughs> honestly that this guy i thought kind of disappeared and it has taken on a life its own i'm very happy with it it's a very i think it's yeah. a really good tag <laughs> oh it, it's so uh suiting like i mm-hmm. just found i found your work like a few months ago i think mm-hmm. uh it either showed up on my feed or someone had sent me one of your clips and uh, that comes up where it's like the deadliest lift and then you're doing these insane <laughs> variations of deadlifts and I was like, man, this is perfect. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, it's hard to debate the uh, tag and form the content or if the content just happened to work well with the tag. Probably a little well, bit of both. But. That's kind of what's cool about the, mm-hmm. it kind of evolves over time as you start presenting mm-hmm. it to people and uh, your work's great, man. I've really been loving getting into uh, the posts that you make, not just the mm-hmm. videos of you training, but you're also sharing kind of like some uh, blog style posts yeah. about like, you know, training experience. The, the, the right ups, I usually like to call them in. I'm really glad yeah. that those have taken off so well because I mean, the videos are fun. I enjoy making them and they, yeah. I, I hope they're fun to watch, but I, I really think that the write ups are, they're at least the contribution I want to make because they're actually helpful. I mean, the videos are neat, they're fun, but I, I want to, you know, create value for the people that are consuming my content. I think the reps yeah. do that a lot better than the videos do. Yeah, hundred percent. And as someone that's uh, does that as well online, like sharing content, it's always one of those things where you're like, you know, it's cool to post stuff that's exciting, but then trying to get that message out where it's like mm-hmm. just finding your people and sharing, you know, your experience and ways yeah. that you like to help. It's been really cool getting into that sort of stuff. So appreciate your work and. Uh, mm-hmm. pr- Appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. Oh, no about... problem. It's always fun to talk shopping. There's not as many chances to do it actually verbally as I yeah. would like. So, yeah, that's right, man. Uh, are you from Canada? I know I'm from Wisconsin, so pretty close actually, <laughs> <laughs> right on the border, right over the border. But no, I'm uh, Wisconsin, USA. Okay, cool. It's like American Canadian kind of location. <laughs> I got some Canadian vibes from some of your stuff. I was like, man, is he from Canada? That'd be <laughs> nope, just from the Midwest <laughs> or the, the northern Midwest. Uh, that's cool, man. Uh, is your uh, 550 pounds Zercher world record? Is that a real thing? As I mean, it's a real lift, and as far as I know, like I haven't seen a heavier one. I usually will call it an unofficial world record because like nobody actually uh, validates the Zercher deadlift. Which even the USAWA, which has like 300 odd lifts, they don't have the full yeah. Zercher deadlift from the floor. Just the the Zercher lift where you bring it in knees first. So yeah, it's I haven't seen a heavy one. No one's tried to correct me in like a year now. Which yeah. You know how much people like to correct people online. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, people... I'm, I'm, I'll still claim it until someone shows me <laughs> otherwise. I'm going to tensively claim it as the unofficial world record. So, that's your Zertrain from the floor on that one. Mm-hmm. So, you're coming right down and pulling yep. up. Yeah. Have to get yeah. right down to the floor and then yeah. try and yank that thing up. Um, yeah, I thought it would be cool to maybe dive right into some background story, mm-hmm. just like about your journey and how you got into training and kind of how that's evolved to where you are today. Sure. So I started training in 
any 13 in the, the looser sense where I was, you know, a junior in college. And I just kind of started going to the gym because I had a buddy who went. And he was my my professor, if you will. And I just cool. wanted to, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe better myself a little bit, hang out with my buddy a little bit. And I, I didn't think it was going to become such a big part of my life as it is now. And it's kind of grown up to that. Um, so I, that first year was just kind of like, I think most people is bro splitting a lot of machines, a lot of dumbbells. I don't think I really used yeah. the barbell, maybe benching a little bit, but no squats, no deadlifts, ironically. <laughs> and <laughs> after a little bit of that, I figured, well, I should, it looks like I'm going to take this seriously. Let's see, I'll dig down and find a program. I think I spent some time on some programs from bodybuilding.com, which oh, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't recommend, yeah. but I mean, when you're new, you don't know things. So you, you yeah. get what you can get. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least that started making me do the barbell lifts, which, I remember there was a time where I'm like, oh, I can't possibly squat a barbell. It's, it's just not impossible for me anatomically, which when I see people <laughs> saying that they're newer, it's like, like, I'm not telling you you're wrong because I'm better than you. It's like, because I've been there. Like, I've <laughs> yeah. been at the beginning with lots of dumb ideas, and I can maybe help speed you through that a little bit faster than it took me to figure things out. Yeah, how tall are you? I'm six foot five, so yeah, uh, yeah. You're I think tall. I recently posted that there's a lot of lifts that are a little bit weird for me and some things that work better for me and not so well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I, I really don't I really want to stress that it's not as big a deal. Some people make it like I've seen a lot of tall people, mostly because they're way too skinny because they just can't eat enough food. Yeah, that, that their height is a disadvantage, and it's like that is completely wrong. Height is never a disadvantage in lifting. You are a bigger person; you can lift more. I mean, yeah. Look at the uh, world's strongest men; they're all six and a half plus feet tall, and they're yeah, strong, the strongest people on the planet because they're yeah, hundred percent. Yep. And it's, Mm -hmm. I like the way you worded that too. You're saying like there's strengths and weaknesses, right? And that's, Mm -hmm. I think everyone has that idea of like, oh, I I can't do that. And it's like, well, you can do that. And I think part of doing some of these things that maybe you feel you aren't good at will be also uh, a part of finding that the things that you are good at. It's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like start squatting and deadlifting and you realize I'm a better deadlifter, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not going to stop you from squatting. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, I, I I've been pulling back on squats because I realized that hey, it's it's not a great lift for me, especially your standard free squat, particularly a straight barbell mm-hmm. like free squat. I've been doing more variations, but uh, that's because I mean, I mean, I've done the time. I've definitely explored that lift. I squat over six hundred pounds, so I'm not like a amateur at, it, but it's not the best lift for me. And I just don't care about as much as I used to. I mean, I still respect it because it's kind of like a strength standard. Mm-hmm. Even though there's not a specific reason why it should be like this, this peak of strike sands, but me, I'll spend like a third of the year just seeing where I can get that up to. But I don't mm-hmm. train it all year round like I used to anymore, just because I don't really see the point. So, um, I mean, when, like when you got into like odd lists and stuff, did that it, do you feel like that's when it started to change a little bit? Because I feel like that kind of changed for me too. As someone who loves squatting, it was like when I started getting into the old school odd lifts, there was like so much more to explore outside of squatting. And mm-hmm. like I started making a little bit of that transition. Yeah. It's been kind of a progression. Like one thing I think I've talked about this before is when I started out, I had one very specific style of training. And for the first few years, a lot of my lifting was like that it was very focused on squat bench dead. It was high frequency on those, a lot of accessories and like six days a week. And then, I mean, it worked at first. You're a beginner, you're relatively weak. You're not taking on too much fatigue and you have room for rapid advancement. And after a few years of that, I hit a wall and I spent over a year bashing my head into that wall again and again and again, trying to use the same training style, which had been working up until that point. And all I ended up with was very little progress, multiple smaller injuries, and a lot of frustration. And after that like year and a half of just plateauing, I said, okay, I'm going to try a radically different training style. I went from my really just 
I called it 531, but I wasn't following 531. I was trying to turn 531 into my preferred style of training, which is a big reason I tell people, please don't write your own programming until you're more experienced. And when you think you're experienced yeah. enough, maybe give it a year or two after that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you you just don't know what you're doing. You're better off you know, following a proven recipe than yeah. using your own creations that probably not work out so well for you. But anyways, mm -hmm. I jumped to um, Deep Water by John Anderson, which is a completely radically different style of training from what I've been doing. It's very focused on very high rep volume, but very low weight, well, relatively speaking. And past that, I followed several more programs that were very different than kind of my comfort zone and being experienced to these different types. I mean, they're still folks around squat, bench, and dead, but they're mm -hmm. different methodologies and like finding out, okay, A, there's more than just the one option and some of them work a little bit better for me. And two, you have to kind of periodize your stuff. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again for years and years and years and expect yeah. to see the best results as you become more experienced. And the odd lifting was kind of a uh, branching off of that. I got more into the habit of kind of periodizing out my year. Like this is my summer block of this. This is my winter block of more focus on squat bench dead. This is my spring block, which is kind of bodybuilding-ish. And I just kind of started plugging in the odd lifts because they were fun. Like I, not just fun. It, it's a bit of a spite thing. Like my original reason was I had the home gym. So I had all this equipment around me that I could use and not feel bad about, you know, being an obstruction in the public gym or potentially breaking someone else's equipment. So I'd read all these comments and it's, it's the whole fragility mentality. Like you can't do this. You can't do that. This yeah. is dangerous. If you do this, you'll, you'll die instantly. You'll snap your back. <laughs> your shoulder will never work again. You've seen it. I'm sure yeah. you've seen all that before. Yeah. So I'd read these comments. and I'm like, well, you know what? I have all the stuff in my basement. I can go prove you wrong right now. Yep. So I'd start basically just doing these kind of odd lifts, like using the wrong bar or, uh, that was that was most of what the early ones were like squatting a trap bar, yeah. or benching a trap bar, or like just stuff like along those lines. Or oh, well, I can use two barbells instead of just the one, yeah. and I just make them mostly just to antagonize these people that like <laughs> stop saying that you can't do all the stuff or you'll like get injured so wrong if you don't follow your perfect form. Like here's yeah. an example of that not being true. Look, I'm fine. I just did this thing. Yeah, I can do a super high deficit deadlift and not snap my back. So yeah. It, and I realized it's fun from doing it, but it really did start as kind of a spite thing, which yeah, the dark background. But as I found more and more enjoyment in doing these odd and imaginative and creative lifts or these old lifts or these uh, unusual lifts, I realized that A, some people enjoy watching them. I enjoy doing them. So I made them a bigger part of my training. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of plug them in. And I, and I think I should be clear here. Like I don't train in the traditional sense these odd lifts like i don't like do reps and sets of these weird unusual lifts to, like get better at them i train most of my training is fairly typical you know regular compounds a lot of machines uh you're pretty standard you know yeah uh, accessory work but then after i'm done with all that i'll express that strength that i've built and that size i've built in these odd ways so i i really feel like i need to specify i don't suggest people do all their training in these weird odd lifts they should have a base that's you know more normal yeah. stuff but you can then take that what you build with that base and go to express it in strange ways. So that's kind of this where I always have to try and balance. <laughs> like I don't, well, yeah, I, I had some notes here about that too. Cause you did do a blog. Uh, it was a good one. It was called the odd, the old and the original. Oh, yeah. And that's still posted. You have a, a Google drive, right? That's yep. I have the, that long form. I think I was originally on Reddit, but now it's in a document form on the, the Google drive. Yeah. And that was a really cool way that you broke it down. So it'd be cool to go over that. So the, oh, sure. You listed the odd. We're based. This is like the lifts that really don't have much of an established history. Mm -hmm. That was a cool way to look at it because, as someone who's gotten into 
the odd lifts and stuff and the USAWA stuff. It was, yeah. uh, you know, like there are a lot of new lifts that come up that are, they kind of fall into that odd lift category, but they're not like the old lifts mm -hmm. that were really done for a long period over time. So like the Scott lift, um, you know, certain lifts like that, uh, that was a cool way to kind of categorize odd. It's kind of like, yeah. they don't quite have the established history. Yeah. They're lifts that don't have like a historical component. Like a search or like that is, it has a historical point of things around for almost a hundred years now, if not a hundred years. Yeah. And then there are kind of like the modern odd lists. They're not like completely made up nonsense. Like some of the stuff I do, like they are a thing that has been done by multiple people, but they're not something with the same kind of pedigree as like the Zercher or some of the, the bench press or whatever. They're like the new modern age kind of wacky show off lifts. Yeah. You know, kind of stuck that way. Kind of stuck a little bit with, I maybe mean, you know, there's a still a crowd that really follows mm -hmm. this all around approach to training, which I think you really categorize that well, where it's kind of moves to the old mm -hmm. and the old being, you know, they were prominent at one point, the bent press, the two hands, anyhow, like the pullover and press. Um, these are the lifts that they are odd, but they really have this history to them where mm -hmm. like lots of athletes and strong men, uh, used to compete and showcase these lifts. And that's kind of what was the measurement of strength back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like to think that uh, I guess the category of original or maybe the the newer odd lifts, though, like all the kind of the viral lifts that like one person does on IG, and you'll see like uh, three other people try it, and then more people try, it, and they'll kind of like play on themselves. I like to think that's kind of spiritual successor almost of the old school circus strongman. Like those yeah. old lifts, they were great displays of strength, but more than that, they were designed to be impressive looking. Like that was their purpose. Like it's not people act like the whole clout thing is this new problem of the social media. He's like, no <laughs> clout and strength has always been a thing. Like a hundred years ago, you go and you pay your nickel or whatever to watch some dude take his giant kettlebell and hold overhead with the dumbbell on the other hand. And that, that was ultimately besides entertainment, that was a clout thing. Like there was absolutely a clout factor yeah. back then really there always has been like, that's kind of what the competition is. I mean, if people like act like, Oh no, competition is the, the pure humble expression of strength. You're not just making your social media posts. Like, no, it's, it's all about ego. Like oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. a certain basic point. Like once you got the strength and you'll handle your day to day life, all the, everything past that, that that's ego driven. You want to be better and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and for sure. trying to do something that's cool and looks cool and is makes people think, wow, he's strong. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not just yeah. like this, this vain bad thing. No, that's fine. It's totally normal. That's it's been that way for as long as strength training has been a thing. Yeah. So 100%. That's totally how I look at these new kind of viral lists. They're the, the modern circus strongman. Yeah. So you categorize those as like the original. Cause yeah, when I first started the original, yeah, it's cool. Cause when I first started reading that blog, I was like the original, I was like, Oh, that must be like the original list. And I was like, Oh, these are the, you know, I like the way mm -hmm. you categorize the stuff like, that you just kind of come up with. Like, you're like, yeah. I wonder if I could do this. And you tried <laughs> like, yeah, I can. And then maybe someone else is independently competent. Cause like nothing's truly original, but they're the list yeah, that yeah. don't have a name in any rule book. Like, yeah, like a Scott that has a name somewhere. But if I decide I want to squat a trap bar, I'm sure I'm not the first person to try that, but there's no name for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, some of the other ones you've been doing with like the 360 around mm -hmm. the, uh, the Zercher. I haven't seen the Zercher clean before either. And that's one I've been like waiting to kind of get my hands on, but you, is that Zercher. where you kind of like pop it up? Oh, yeah. Where you, you more like upend it. Yeah. Yeah. That was that a cool. That is one. almost not so much like, that's also partially a functional thing for me. Like I am really bad at cleaning explosively. Like I can mm -hmm. muscle clean most of what I could press, but the whole, what really made me want to try that Zercher clean was I watched 
a bit of, I think, the, this summer, the CrossFit Games, where they had one of the events was like cleaning up the 315 for a uh, front squat. I'm like, well, 315 is a really easy front squat, but I can't power clean or whatever the proper term for yeah. Olympic clean 315 because I'm just terrible at the movement. But I can do everything else here. I want to say, well, <laughs> I should be able to do what a 200 pound crossfitter can do. So I'm just going to, you know, find some way to get that bar up to my shoulder so I can front squat. So that was the impetus for me trying to desert her clean. I'm like, well, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to work yeah. with my strengths. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and you kind of listed it in a nice way too, where it was like atypical lifts mm-hmm. and typical lifts. And this is where we do get very pigeonholed in our way of thinking, right? It's like a typical lifts are the ones that you train. So it's like, mm-hmm. you got your powerlifting crowd or your, you know, Olympic lifting crowd across, like we're going to do these lifts. Um, and we don't really necessarily think outside of that. And the atypical lifts are the ones you just don't train. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, that's cool to hear your perspective on yeah, that. I like to make that distinction because, like, there is a typical and atypical on, like, a population level. Like, a bench is a pretty typical lift. Most people train a bench. Uh, a bench press is not a typical lift. Very few people train a bench press. But for an individual, you might have someone that never trains bench press, but they do train bench press. And in their specific case, bench press is a typical lift because they have experience with it. They train it regularly. And bench press is an atypical lift. Mm-hmm. So the whole kind of point I was getting at there is there is a – kind of a side benefit to at least sometimes incorporating lifts that you don't train that you just do as one-offs or as every once in a while and you just kind of work up to a max and see what you can do without training and i think that the benefit there is that by forcing yourself to kind of lift at a high level and something you haven't hammered into you know your your motor cortex or whatever your muscle memory you develop kind of a higher sense of just general bodily awareness like i feel that by training i'm not specifically not train these weird lifts is kind of saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take it to a comfortable max and I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to do by doing that over and over again with a bunch of different movement patterns. I've had an increase in kind of my sense of my body. Like I can adapt, I can adapt to these new lifts faster than I used to be able to. Like I just have a greater sense of what my body is doing without practice. And there's definitely value in specificity and hammering in those training. That's how you become as good as you can be at a specific lift. But if you're only specific, like you just, constantly hammering your squat bench dead, then you lose out on kind of this, this general strength that let you could apply to anything. Yeah. And I mean, if your only goal are to squat bench dead a lot, you don't really necessarily need that general strength. They're like you train for your goals. But my goal is I kind of like to be strong at a bunch of Ram stuff. I'm not going to sit there and train a weird lift over and over again. Cause I want to do like a <laughs> hundred different weird lifts and there's just not time to actually train all those. So I want to kind of build up my, my general unspecific strength so I can handle heavy lifts in a bunch of strange ways. No, that's a cool way to think about it. And I've, I've certainly experienced the same thing for me going into the old style approach to training, the all around lifting approach. It's, it's been a very atypical kind of a journey and it's allowed me to really get a better sense and understanding of how strong I am in different patterns and positions. And I mean, my, my, uh, typical lifts, I guess you'd call them have been going up. Yep. That, that's also what I found. Like I, like my, I guess you call it dirty secret. Like I, the deadliest lift, I deadlift a lot, but I have not actually trained deadlift in the sense of I'm going to do sub max sets and reps just to kind of build this up in years or very rarely do I do that. Like full extent of my deadlift training is, is what you see on posted, like all these weird deadlifts or even my regular deadlift. I don't sit down and do a five by five of deadlift anymore because 
one, I'm very naturally predisposed both to the movement anatomically and just, I guess, mentally. Like, I've always felt the movement being incredibly natural, so I don't necessarily need to build up the technical skills. It's kind of, it comes to me naturally. Yeah. And I realized I could spend time training deadlift, but that is, at my level, very fatiguing. Like, people say that yeah. deadlift isn't worth it for a fatigue ratio, and for most people, it's not true because they're not deadlifting 850 pounds for reps. <laughs> right. At my point, like, if I deadlift at my max, it's a fairly significant uh, fatigue load. So right. I realized that uh, I don't need to train this very fatiguing lift because the skill component is going to be there if I train it or not. And I can work all those separate muscles in different ways that are a little bit uh, less overall fatiguing. So that's kind of the route I've taken. Like I don't sit down and train deadlift. I mean, I'll train my legs separately. I'll train my back separately. I'll train the hip hinge a little bit separately, but just the deadlifts, I found that I can just say, okay, I'm not going to practice deadlift, but when I'm ready, I think I'm stronger. I sit down, I load the bar and then it keeps working. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't suggest that to most people, but I think that's kind of an expression like, uh, you can just train your body to be stronger and be good at specific lifts without necessarily really hammering in specific training, which I think is should be yeah. kind of obvious, but it kind of isn't these days. Like people think you need to really train lift to get that. And to be your best, you probably do, but you can be yeah. pretty damn good at a bunch of lifts without specifically training them. If you build up your general muscle mass, your general strength, and your kind of general sense of bodily awareness when it comes to movement patterns. Yeah. That's a cool perspective. And how old are you now? I am almost 30. Just got a few more months. So cool. If I'm yeah. to believe in the internet, I've got a few more months to, you know, get all my big lifts out of the way before my body turns <laughs> last. <laughs> I'm, I'm unable to lift anything more than 405. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, you know, I'm 38, be 39 mm -hmm. in a few months. And when I, I mean, just being around and knowing so many others that have kind of grown into the, um, just grown into the strength industry mm -hmm. or just like training and, you know, it's like, I feel like this is the missing piece as you get into your not super old years, but you know, mm -hmm. you get a little more middle-aged and you're starting to think like, well, I like a lot of people get really stuck in these idea of like, well, I can't power lift anymore. So I'm just going to, mm -hmm. you know, fuck just around. Stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I guess my years are done. I'm going to go mess around in the gym and bodybuild or whatever, just do the old faithful stuff. And it's like, I think I'm feeling like, and just like hearing from you and some of the other people I've connected with in the last couple of years, it's like, this is the kind of the key. It's like, you know, you, you do build up that foundation that we've kind of built up with some mm -hmm. traditional approaches or typical approaches or, and then you start exploring your strength and your foundation. It's like, oh, what absolutely. can I do with this? And it's, yeah, it's been very much the same journey for me. Like, you, you know, starting to hit certain numbers or break through some plateaus. And I'm like, man, this is like, kind of weird considering mm -hmm. every, everything you know modern days like oh you gotta do this it's like to a certain yeah. extent I, I figure i still have like at least a, about a decade to hit peaks in specific lifts like i i think a lot of, like i've read some more that like strength athletes they really do peak in their 30s to 40s because your absolute strength um doesn't taper down uh, anatomic or not anatomically physiologically so much mm -hmm. until you're about 40 and the extra experience from the previous years kind of builds up on that so you lose out on like endurance sports to a certain degree but apparently not strength and then i'm just gonna keep trying to get stronger in like a, a yeah. straight up deadlift as long as i can and then just try and hold on to that once i kind of hit that point where i'm a bit too old to reasonably keep pushing up but yeah. along those same lines i do have another write-up about prs and i think a really important thing for anyone training is that you have to expand like your 
what you think of as an applicable PR at some point. Okay. And that was another thing I discovered in that period where I was came my head against the wall because at that time, the only PRs I cared about were my one mech, one rep max in my squat, my bench, and my deadlift. That was like my expression of strength. That was the only goal I had. And if you keep trying to just work on that one, I guess those three goals, you're going to run into a bunch of plateaus and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to hurt yourself probably. And this is not going to be rewarding. So what you do at that point is you say, okay, I've got these three goals, but I can also have three more. I can have my five rep max and bench squats. I can have my 10 rep max and squat bench. I can add in new movements. I can add in variations. And if you expand this like degree of what your goals are, suddenly, once you hit a plateau in one, you can just move to another for a while and you can consistently hit PRs there. And when you come back to your original one, you're bigger, you're stronger, and you can go back to hitting PRs in there again. Yeah. So I think a lot of people need to find out at a certain point, like you can just have a couple of goals, but you're going to have to take, you know, time that you're not really making progress directly towards them. And if yeah. you're going to do that, you might as well have some new goals. So you're not just sitting there for a year and not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that's, uh, you got to think about this whole PR concept is like, you can PR anything you can. Yep. I think that like, was exactly the title of the, of the post. <laughs> yeah. You can PR anything. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, it's really a solid mentality. Like you, once you realize that you, and you have to be careful. You're not just like saying, oh, I can PR anything. So you artificially create progress. You have to, you know, still be driven and focusing. And at some point, yeah. you should probably be increasing old things. But uh, once your ability to rapidly progress declines because you've become more experienced, more advanced, and you just kind of you get diminishing returns, it really helps to have the option to just turn folks, well, I'm going to take on this new lift where I don't have all this practice. I don't have all this technical experience. Yes. And suddenly you can gang like a beginner again because you are building that technical expertise and potentially yeah. new muscle groups and new movement patterns. And that's yeah. very, A, good for your body because, you know, you've widened your foundation and you've like raised your, your bottom line for what like your worst lifts are. But it's also good mentally because it's yeah. always great to have actual tangible progress. Versus yeah. saying, oh, I've gained five pounds on my bench in this last year. You say, no, I've gained 100 pounds on my, I don't know, two barbell Steinborn squat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, I've been looking at it that way now too. So I've got this big list of PRs. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. And then, you know, cycling through, like once you have that foundation, that knowledge experience and how you've trained traditional things, it's like you can start applying them. In, yeah. in ways to this. I always like try to like add the nuance to the layer in my post. Like, yes, I know I style those things, but at the same time, if you're new, don't, don't, <laughs> don't try and train like me. If you're new, put your time in doing, you know, normal things yeah. <laughs> so you can get a foundation yeah. and understand your body and, you know, have something to work with and you can start applying it to all the, the weird nonsense I do. If you want yeah. to work a little bit of nonsense and when you're new, you know, go for it, but don't, don't, don't train like me if you've been training for two years. Please, it's not going to work out very well for you. I'm not responsible for your lack of progress if you try and copy me. Yeah, and then most of the like experienced individuals, even when you read back, that was very much around like build up your foundations. Like oh yeah, your squat, bench, deadlift, press, like very similar type thing. Like just get strong, then express and learn mm -hmm. what your strength can do. I think that's a really strong message. Um, yeah. I mean, thought, there's a reason that, oh, that bench squat and dead are kind of go-tos for beginners. And like, I agree with a lot of people, like they're not like the, the peak pinnacle of, of strength. Like they shouldn't be held on such a platform, but they're definitely great for base building and they're easy enough to teach and learn because there's so many resources available from any gym you go to that's worth a damn is going to have the equipment to do them. So like, that's a great place for a beginner to, you know, to start actually building that base is just your, your basic yeah. list. They don't have to keep doing that for their entire lifting career, but they should probably start somewhere like that. Yeah. Cool. It's yeah, kind of interesting to even ask at this point too, like when you felt like you were starting, was there an approach that you felt worked 
almost maybe not better than everything else, but it was just like, you finally were like, man, this is really working well for me. Or you really enjoyed it. Kind of like really brought well, you to some Like I said, of- it's the absolute guarantee until I hit my, my plateau year. Uh, it was definitely just having a program that, you know, it programmed my squat, my bench and my dead, or maybe variations thereof. And it explicitly told me at some point you need to do more weight. And mm-hmm. a lot of the programs, they also include uh, AM reps or as many reps as possible sets. And I still think that that's one of the best ways to formulate a top set in a program. I really, really love AM reps because yeah. A, it's, if you do them right, they're auto-regulating to, I guess, A2, <laughs> A, B, uh, <laughs> B, um, they're really there for like where you are in getting the day. And if you're feeling, okay, I'm just not there you hit the bare minimum. You hit the bare minimum of your ramp and you move on. If you're feeling great, it gives you a chance to hit a PR. And I think that if you're up for a PR, you should always try and take that PR because A, it's rewarding physically, it's rewarding mentally. And yeah, <laughs> PRs are good. I like PRs. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exhaust you as much as like a max rep or max one RM as much like Usually when you get those AMRAPs in, you feel good the next day. Like you're, you're yeah, still, I guess, well, that, yeah, that's the, I guess that's the thing. What I really love about an AMRAP is that a one rep max is a pass or a fail. You either succeed or you get nothing because you got zero reps and AMRAP. Yeah. If you get seven out of eight, that's however many percent that's, that's really close. That's still a good number. That's still a good, that's a lot closer to reaching your goal than zero out of one. Yeah. So that's why I really like AMRAPs. It's really hard if you're pushing yourself to fail an AMRAP. You might yeah. not get quite as many reps as you want, but you still got a lot of reps. Yeah, something to kind of at least score yourself on and feel mm-hmm. feel pretty good about. Um, have you used other approaches for like auto regulating? Like, I not that much. I have dabbled in, but I, I don't particularly like like RPE or R R I R or mm-hmm. any of those other ones because I just think that most people can't subjectively judge like a percentage of failure, like. At a right. certain point, maybe if you practice long enough and you're sufficiently advanced, sure, it's a good way to keep it low enough. But for a beginner, like a beginner doesn't know what failure actually feels like. So how can they judge 80% of failure? Like, right. I think that's a big kind of rite of passage for most beginners is that they need to learn what actual full force physical exertion feels like. Because yeah. yeah. what they think is failure is just their mind giving up on them. Like they've never done anything hard like this before. Yeah. So if you tell them to go to failure, they're probably going to end up at like RPE eight or nine. They're not going to go mm. to RPE because they just don't have the, the mental faculties to know how much that sucks. <laughs> Unless they come from like a sports background. That's why I think people, even if you're not a lifter, but you have applied yourself in a different physical pursuit, you have a heads up because you at least know what full force yeah. physical effort feels like. And you're used to that level of suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even for myself, I'll never forget the first time I was in a gym and it started training with someone who's more experienced than mm-hmm. me. And it was like one of the first things before I even really knew what AMRAP was, or I'd read about, you know, that kind of approach. It was just like, Oh, we're going to drop the weight down a bit and just go to failure. And you're like, mm-hmm. what? And it's, <laughs> <laughs> you do it. And then you're in, you know, you stop, but they're like, no, you got some more. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay. And you do, if you, no, you got some more. And then next thing you know, you're like, I I'm fall. I can't even yeah. finish this rep. And I think, you know, like I even remember today, like that was like, that moment I was hooked and it was like, Oh, this is what, this is what it is. Right. I have a similar memory. Like I distinctly remember there was a time when I, not long after I started squatting where I was doing my sets with squat, but I was fairly convinced that the most squats I could do with three plates or three fifteen was five reps. So I would do five, five, five until one day I'm like, you know what? I've been stuck at three fifteen by fives for a month now. 
Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to stop. I'm going to keep going until I actually fail. And I did a rep <laughs> and I did a rep and I did a rep and I got 315 for 12. And I discovered there's a whole new level to yeah. what my body can do on a squat based on yeah. uh, my actual physical potential versus what my mind was telling me. And that's when I realized, okay. <laughs> I don't know what failure feels like. I've never done, I've never gone to failure before. And that was kind yeah. of eye opening. And then leg days got a lot shittier after that because <laughs> I did have, okay, I need to take these a lot farther. Uh, do you have any like influences or mentors that have really kind of helped you or inspired you along the way? I don't really think so much of mentors. Like I couldn't point to a certain person like they have taught me, but I think it more like as a collaboration. Like I will not pretend that I'm like self made, but it's not so much I've had this great t shirt. It's just I, I've surrounded myself with other people that are like-minded that are also strong and I just watch what they're doing and I, I take ideas from them shamelessly. <laughs> like, yeah, I think even like I have a program up, I've like specifically said like this program, nothing, this program is original. Neither is anyone else's program, but I'm going to explicitly tell you that nothing in this is fully original. Like, these are all ideas that I've snatched from various people that I've either watched their content or I've talked to them online or I've talked to them in person and like, Oh, this works for me. I tried, it worked for me. I steal that idea and I kind of work into my training program. So it's yeah. not so much mentors as it is a bunch of different collaborators. Yeah. Kind of finding your own message along the way within mm -hmm. that. That's cool. Yeah, and I think that's like uh, I think you say you want to talk about the whole like learning by experience. And I think that's a big part is like surround yourself with other strong people, see what works for them and at least think about it. Maybe try it if it sounds like hopeful and if it doesn't work for you, then it's fine. You can just leave that one behind. But it wasn't a waste of time. You learned something that didn't work. Yeah. And the things that do work, you can keep those and work them into your own lifting philosophy. And I think that that's the best way to kind of develop your own personal truth is by taking a lot of everyone else's truths and see which ones apply to you. It's a lot yeah. easier to do that than to just blindly try a random stuff and hope that something works for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe we've touched on this a little bit already with just the discussion we've had, but like mm -hmm. in your experience maybe with like helping people or kind of seeing other people approach strength. Like where do you feel people really mess up when it comes to pursuing this? I think it would depend on kind of what level they're at. Like as a beginner, I think probably the biggest fault is like, if you're not making progress as an absolute beginner, and this is kind of mean to say, but it's probably because you're not putting in enough effort. Like there's very few things that you can do wrong as a beginner and not progress yeah. other than not putting in enough effort. So if you're like, oh, I'm not sure if my program is right as a beginner, it's like, no, people have gone strong as a beginner doing the dumbest programming imaginable. <laughs> and honestly, they've gone strong at much higher levels than that doing dumb programming if they put in enough effort. And that's why I say it's kind of like a, a beginner has to learn how to try is the is the first like hurdle they have to jump. And that, that can take time for some people. Like if you have been inactive your entire life, you have a lot of anti-momentum that you have to work against to mm -hmm. build up to being actually physically exert yourself. And yeah, that's hard and that's going to suck. And it's going to be a lot of time where you're not necessarily making progress because you're not challenging your body. You're just challenging your mind. Yeah. So I think that'd be the number one thing that people are doing wrong as a beginner is they're just not trying hard enough, which is easy to say, but kind of hard to fix sometimes. Uh, beyond that, I think the next kind of hurdle that people have to jump is learning to work outside their, their first comfort zone. Like, just like I did, I was stuck on one method of training for a while. And yeah, I mean, like I said, as a beginner, almost anything works, but at a certain point you have to kind of diversify and do a bit of periodization, find things that personally work better for you. And if you're only used to one style of training, you're never going to experience those things. Like the next hurdle you have to jump is kind of like trying different kinds of programs. So like find a proven program that is a lot looking, that looks a lot different than what you've been doing for the last year or two and try that and just see yeah. how those different training methods feel and how that works. 
And then once you've kind of tried five different programs, they'll kind of introduce you to random things. You can have a much better perspective on, okay, this works for me. This doesn't because I've tried five different things. And you just yeah. kind of build up on that. And then maybe that can inform your next program choice. You have a bit yeah. of idea of what kind of things to look for. Then I guess you can call that intermediate. Then if you're advanced, uh, how do you I think get it's to advanced? <laughs> when you get to advanced, I mean, it's it's really hard to qualify what is a beginner versus an intermediate versus advanced. They're kind of meaningless, I think. Yeah. But if you were to take a rough idea, I'd say a beginner is someone who can progress doing anything. An intermediate is a person that needs a bit more specific kind of general program. And if you're advanced at that point, you kind of just need to you need your own individual path to success at that point. You need to either rely on your previous experiences to build up your own programming or uh, find one of the rare good coaches that will actually help you with that. So I guess that's how I bring this up. But like for an advanced person that they're still struggling, like I don't think I could say, oh, this is the, the one thing they're doing wrong because at that point it becomes very individual. And I think it would be wrong to say, oh, all advanced people that aren't making progress are doing this wrong because their their problems are going to be very individualistic. Mm-hmm. So they need to kind of identify where's my, where's my weak point. Maybe that involves uh, looking at how they're trained and saying, okay, I've been doing this. It kind of works, but does it really, am I doing this because I like it or because it actually works well? Or maybe they need enough. Okay. Like I've been really hammering at uh, this technique because I believe it should work, but maybe I just need to embrace this other technique that it looks ugly. It feels bad, but it works better. Yeah. So maybe if you want to take a general approach to what advanced people need to do is they need to kind of find where they're lying to themselves. And I'm, I'm still guilty of that. There's plenty of parts of my frame. Like I know that I probably should be doing this differently, but I really just don't want to. And for the <laughs> most part, I, kill me, I keep making progress. So I just kind of push off fixing those things until, until something uh, stops working. But and yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably the most general advice I give to like an advanced person is really honestly self audit yourself. Cause there's probably some things that you know, aren't working that you're just kind of reluctant to let go of or to embrace. And there's probably some kind of a special like personality traits involved there when you start moving from intermediate to advanced that you kind of mm-hmm. need to have, right? It's like the desire, will, and grit to actually push yourself. Because oh, yeah. like and, I said, like at a certain point, like you, people, people say they want to train for health or to be functional in real life. And the, the threshold for what you need to do resistance training wise to be healthy and just, you know, functional as you get older it's not that high. Like most people are not going to be confronted with much in the way of a strength demand in their day to day life. We live in a society that accommodates for weakness pretty damn well. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to come advanced at a certain point, you need to identify what it is you want to do and you have to actually want it. Yeah. And if you don't want it, that's not a big deal. Like you're not bad because you decide you don't want to dedicate yourself to these insane strength pursuits. Like that's, that's probably normal. <laughs> it's got to be a little yeah. bit abnormal to say, okay, I want to, put so much time, effort, uh, sweat, blood and tears into a giant deadlift because that's a, that's a pretty niche thing. All things considered. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's also why it's, or I've even taken that approach like as a coach to help people and say like, well, this is where kind of this odd, old, original Mm -hmm. ideology or approach can help you break at least the fact that maybe you will never be be advanced doesn't mean you have to quit pursuing strength. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's definitely what's back to the idea of kind of expanding. Like yeah. if you realize that you aren't willing to keep climbing this mountain because the air has gone super thin to reach the peak of, you know, your peak deadlift, you can just go climb another mountain. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's in some ways it's easier, but at the same time, like it's better than just giving up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And sometimes Genuine. you can't just, you can't just live at high altitude. You got to spend some time somewhere else and then you can come back to the high altitude later. So yeah, yeah definitely expanding your, 
your scope of training has a lot of benefits, regardless of how well, how far you want to take your primary focuses. Yeah. Cause I don't know about you, but like, I, I'll just see a lot of people quit. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I think strength needs to be in your life in some way. Yeah, shape, or form. I, I mean, I have never felt the desire to just completely quit. So I don't really know how to respond to those people. Like it's such a foreign idea to me. Yeah. And I guess this goes back to another thing that like a, a, a good lesson for beginners is build a habit. Cause like that, Motivation will get you into the gym. Discipline will keep you for the first month, but habit is what is going to make like gym something you do for years and years. Like part of the reason I can't possibly imagine not strength training is because I've been doing this so long that the idea of removing that big part of my life is like, what else would I do? Like it's just such yeah. a weird idea. Yeah, hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. It's so habitual at this point that if I were to be forced to stop training, I would just be like. I'd, I'd be lost for a little bit. <laughs> I'd have to yep. take a lot of time to find a new direction in life because it's just so ingrained at this point. Yeah. And I think the times I've personally felt lost with maybe my goals, I still like went and trained, even though it was like, you know, maybe it wasn't the best training in my life. It's like, I just went oh, yeah. and like, just my, did that, some, whatever, you know, that plateau year. I'm like, okay, I look back. It looks like, well, my total has gone up 10 pounds between all three lists between squat bench and then that's just because I shipped a squat. PR that wasn't probably was probably high. I'm like, okay, I've accomplished by my standards absolutely nothing over 12 months, but I was still going. <laughs> it's like, so my joints hurt, but I'm just going to keep going because I I can't not go. This is just part of how I live my life now. Yeah, yeah. and obviously you should try and fix that problem. But yeah, just being willing to go even when you feel like you can't get anything out of it is important. You have to get. There's going to be bad times. You kind of got to push through them. Yeah, 100. Um, you do have some really good shit around cutting too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that's kind of, you've done some extreme cuts up and down a little bit too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that of all the things I've shared, like the most useful in a actual practical, actionable advice thing has been that kind of that cutting idea because it is a bit outside of the standard and it's, it's directly applicable. A lot of my stuff is kind of more conceptual, which I, I think is important, but it's not as directly helpful. But for anyone who hasn't read it, my, stance on cuts after I kind of developed for the last couple of years is that I plan my training so that when I'm bulking, my focus isn't on peak strength or setting PRs. It's on growth and getting in all of the stimulus that I need to force that growth. And kind of consequence of that is I'm constantly at least moderately fatigued because you need to maintain a certain kind of like threshold of fatigue to like force your body to grow. But that really chips down on your peak strength potential. <laughs> but then when you're cutting, uh, I don't expect I'm going to grow any muscle I'm cutting at this point. That's just not really realistic. So instead of just kind of banging my head against the wall and trying to grow while cutting, I completely shift my training to much lower volume, higher specificity on lifts I care about. Or maybe I just decide I'm going to take a really easy cutting period and just do a few accessories and then goof around with lifts every session, which is kind of what I'm doing now. It's, it's very fun. But <laughs> the idea is that when you're cutting, being in that deficit doesn't take away as much from your strength potential as you think especially if you're programming in a way that facilitates setting a big lift. So if I'm cutting, I'm cutting down volume, I'm cutting down my accessory work. And I think the example I've used in my post about is uh, a bench cut I did where I benched every single day. Most of the days it was just like five reps of 315, just banged out, super clean, super easy, no grinding. And then once or twice a week, I'd suit for a PR set. So I got that high specificity, high specificity training in to really hone my technical um, skill. I cut down on fatigue because I wasn't doing nearly as much accessory work. There wasn't nearly as much demand in my muscles. So they were able to recover back up to like hundred percent um, between each session. And over the course of that cut, I went from a sub four plate 
uh, bench, which I'd been stuck at for just ages, to finally benching four plate, and by the end of that cut, I was able to hit for five reps in a row in one session. Wow. So, big jump on a lift that stalled for a long time, and that was all while I was losing, like, 10 pounds over five weeks. So, just... Uh, it's, you really can do a lot just by changing your programming, even though the diet is working against you. And yeah. that, it just makes a lot more sense to me to do that kind of training while you're cutting because that kind of training is not good for building your muscle. It's not even really good for building your strength. It's just good for showing your strength. And when you're cutting, you don't have enough energy to build muscle. You, you probably could build strength, but you might as well take this period that you're already, you know, you're going to cut either way because you need to lose that body fat. Do something that accommodates that like this kind of training works just fine while cutting it doesn't work against your goal of losing fat but it lets you hit your prs and when you go back to bulking uh your primary goal should be you know actually growing yourself getting bigger muscle so do the kind of training that works for that even though it's not necessarily necessarily accommodating of your biggest prs so i think that kind of goes against the it's like oh why would you try and hit your big lifts when you're cutting you don't have energy well you have enough <laughs> especially yeah. on the accessory work that's making you so tired yeah, and, you know, maybe don't hit the five sets of bench. You hit just the three or the one. That's very so, cool, man. Yeah, it's yeah just that's a very different, interesting that perspective. The whole thing, but yeah, yeah, I've been reading that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had um, a lot of people say that they've tried out and then it works better than they expect. Like, yeah, I was surprised too. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I want to so, tell you about this because like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make sense when you yeah. are looking at it from kind of the standard uh, viewpoint, but when you yeah. think about it and, and you, when you try it, it works out pretty well. And I, I mean, I was a power lifter competitively mm-hmm. for years. Um, and that was always a vicious cycle of like trying to get strong as fuck mm-hmm. before a cut <laughs> and then cutting to go to compete and like I mean, losing a bit of strength. If you don't believe me, there's plenty of power lifts. Like they, they cut down to hit their competition weight, but they're also running their peaking cycle at that same time because that's right for their meat. So they're peaking and cutting and they're still hitting PRs at the actual competition. So there's a, yeah. another example of that working out. If you don't believe my my saying, it works. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm definitely really keen to get into that, um, as just for my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of looking at, you do have good viewpoints with regards to like, you know, the science based approach versus like the experience mm-hmm. pra- practical ap- approach. Um, it's just cool to hear your perspectives kind of shared mm-hmm. uh, in person too. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I work in the nuclear pharmaceutical industry. I'm a research scientist. Like I understand and respect science. So I'm not like science is bad. I don't believe in science. Like, no, my problem with the science, fully science-based approach to training is that the existing like studies and data just aren't enough to stand on their own. Like the logistics of doing a like holistic study on strength, um, and a fully with full scientific rigor is just not realistic like no one's gonna that's gonna take years you're gonna have to have a super big sample size you're gonna have to track a bajillion variables it's just not work so you get a bunch of little like snapshots of ideas because that's the best you can test with proper control in like a scientific setting so you can take those little snapshots and they're they're informative you can look at them you can try and apply them but you can't take a bunch of little snapshots and make a full training program and this is not enough there whereas the anecdotal approach it might not have the same level of control or the same level of rigor but it's at least holistic. Like if someone says, I did this to get big and strong, sure, it's a sample size of one, but what it's looking at is the whole thing you're actually interested in, not just uh, the strength of six college students' biceps over six weeks with <laughs> creatine versus not creatine, which that has its place, but it's not building my entire training philosophy place. Right. And I think that right now the anecdotal options are a lot stronger than the scientific options. 
And I think that when I do want a scientific like outlook, I look for someone who has both the scientific background to understand the data, but also the practical experience to, you know, contextualize it. So like my favorite source for scientific information would be um, Greg Nuckles over at Stronger by Science. Like I love his take because not only does he have the scientific background, he's read the papers, he understands material. He also is a very strong dude and a world record holding power lifter. So he actually can take this information, you know, contextualize it properly. And that goes a long way to how he can explain it. Like a lot of his conclusions are this data says this, but like, don't put all your money on that. Cause this is not enough power to like, yeah. <laughs> like fully um, support that. Like it, it, yeah. it turns things to a certain direction, but like, you can't look at a paper and say, Oh, I will train this way because this paper is only to like, there's just not enough information there. Yeah. So you need to take, the holistic anecdotal evidence that someone who's very strong or very experienced can give you and then take those little bits and pieces, like I said earlier, but then more importantly, apply them and see what works for you. Because what works for a sample size of 12 college students, what works for one big strong guy isn't necessarily what's going to work for you. You need to do your own study with your own N equals one because that's the only N that matters in your training. What, yeah. what works in a population is irrelevant to you as an individual because you're not a population. <laughs> You're not yeah. some other thing, dude. You are you. Are you. Yeah. And, and I think we're really in this, you know, moment within the industry where it's like some kind of bit of research comes out and everyone jumps on it mm -hmm. and it's the new way to look at it and everything else is out the door. And it's like, and we've already seen this, right? With the whole spine flexion shit, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Big <I'll>, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, what happened the last couple of decades? Now we're coming mm -hmm. back and... You know, it, everyone's confused and it just really puts people, I think it creates these barriers for people mm -hmm. and particularly where people like you and I specialize in strength. Um, it just creates barriers to help people where we know so many people need to pursue this and have this kind of component in their lifestyle. But there's all this kind of fear around mm -hmm. some kind of research paper that's blown up and everyone, you know, jumped on because there was a way to potentially maybe make money off of it or create it. That's, that's, that's not potentially. I mean, that's where most of us make them like it. <laughs> there is a large audience of people that like the idea of science, despite not necessarily having the background to actually understand what science is, because, you know, yeah. there's been a lot of time in the last couple of days, like they, they science sexy. Like, Oh, this is what the science says. Like, this is cool. We got, you know, Bill Nye science. We got Carl Sagan. We got the disgrace, <laughs> Neil deGrasse Titan. Like science is neat. Science is all the answers. Like, and that's not untrue, but at the same time, most of the general population doesn't have the understanding of what science actually is. So they yeah. just kind of take it at face value. So someone who wants to get a bunch of clicks on their video, they can take this paper, they can present it however they want, put however kind of emphasis they want. And there's a large population that's going to eat them up because it's science. Yeah. And it's kind of dishonest. And maybe some of them actually believe it. I don't think most of them do because some of these evidence-based trains people are actually, you know, relatively big and strong lifters. So I think they know better, but they're not there to necessarily tell the, their truth. They're there to produce content that will get views. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I do this. I've, I've been doing this thing last couple episodes where we just mm -hmm. kind of, I, I talk about lazy gainers because <laughs> I mean, I think we all are to some extent, mm -hmm. like even when we, I go through your diet stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is a lazy gainer approach because you eat the same thing every day. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I, um, I love it because it's just so simple. I don't have to think about things. Like, I go to the grocery store. I don't have the list. Like, I bought the same things the last however many years. I just kept yeah. Bing, 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 bing. yeah, and I've, I'm very much like that, too. It's like when I'm going through 
you know, cutting or gaining. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just need to eat the same thing every day and just hit these mm -hmm. goals. Uh, did you have any like specific tips maybe for the lazy gainers out there or someone that's like, I don't know, looking if for, you're, if you're okay with just eating the same things every day, then it is really the easiest approach because you don't need to count every single day. Once you've got, you have to audit your diet once and confirm, yes, it's got enough protein. Yes. It's got enough, whatever. Yes. It's got my micronutrients. And then you just go from there. You see, no more thought, no more thinking, no more like, what am I going to eat for dinner? It's like, it's already decided. So I guess my suggestion would be find things that you don't hate. Like if you really hate a food, but it's a good gaining food, yeah, you, you're not going to eat every day. This <laughs> is not going to happen. You can force yourself for a while. And <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can convince yourself you like it, but try and find things that you're actually are palatable to you, which is easy for me because I'm not very picky. Like I just, I just like eating period. <laughs> so what, what that food is, doesn't big deal to me. But yeah, I think most people need to probably be eating more vegetables than they actually do. Um, mm -hmm. especially I'm cutting, I eat a crap ton of vegetables and that's why my, uh, my grocery bill is actually higher when I cut versus when I bulk. <laughs> um, but beyond that, eat more diet fruits and eat, eat more fruits and vegetables than you probably think. Um, mm -hmm. Be consistent with it. Uh, another one, it's it's okay to deviate sometimes. Like I had another period, like this is going back, where I had my time where I was like, okay, once I got into the monotonous eating, there was a year or two there where I was very, very fixated on it and it would give me literal distress if I had to deviate from that diet and that's not mentally healthy. And I think right. everyone goes through that to some degree at some time. And it, it basically just took experience and like, okay, I went home and I ate whatever was at my parents' house for these two weeks or this week or whatever, and nothing bad happened. Right. <laughs> you just kind of have to experience both times. Like, you know, as long as you're there 85, 90% of the time, that last 10%, it's not going to make a difference. And yeah. I think some people just need to experience that in order to become okay with it emotionally. And that is a step you really should take because I think that eating for performance has the potential to kind of spiral into disorder eating patterns. And I don't know how common it is to go full blown eating disorder, even though I think a lot of people say, Oh, I've got, I've got this eating disorder. And realistically they're kind of exaggerating, but I don't know. Just learn to be okay with deviating from your monotonous diet. Sometimes, especially yeah. if you're still making the progress you want to make, it's mm -hmm. not mentally healthy to super fixate on it. It's meant to be a matter of convenience, not like a strict rule. Right. So I guess that would be the biggest bit of important advice, I think, is that it's okay to go off diet a little bit. Yeah. It's not too much. <laughs> yeah. What's a uh, deadliest lift uh, cheat meal look like or preferred kind of? I do winning? not. I, I don't eat cheat meals. Like I always found that like if I plan like it's a cheat meal for the sake of being a cheat meal, I always like, oh, what am I going to eat? I can eat anything. And it's like the, the, the spectrum of choices is overwhelming. And then I always end up disappointed with whoever I pick. So... <laughs> My cheat meals are just like, oh, if I have to, you know, if I'm visiting my parents, I'll eat whatever they're cooking for dinner. I'm like, that's a cheat meal. Or maybe I'm at work and they have some donuts there. I'm like, well, screw it. I'll have a donut. That's my cheat meal. Like, I just basically take advantage of what with the, flow. the universe throws at me versus seeing I'm like, okay, Sunday night's my cheat meal. Right. What am I going to have? Because that, yeah. I, I don't want to make that choice. That's too much power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually a good way of thinking about it. And I think I've adopted mm -hmm. the same thing, too. Like, you know. With the, yeah, I mean, even just I, even when I have to sit down and eat with the family and stuff, I'm like, yeah. I can't be strict on what I'm eating all the time. Like, yeah, the world's I mean, gonna present you with chances to to deviate from your diet. Just yeah. use that excuse then versus you know artificially creating them. Yeah, and that also helps go into you know dealing with. Well, what can I do when I can't eat my normal diet? Well, yeah, unless it's happening like every other day, just just do it. It's fine. That's your cheat meal. Congratulations. Yeah. No. Um, so do you just like refer everyone to your Instagram as like your main, uh, yeah, that, I'd say platform? that's probably the, the primary platform. Um, same username on YouTube, which is mostly just a video repository. 
And then uh, TikTok lately, even though I'm not a huge fan of that platform, but my videos <laughs> just kept ending up there. So I figure I should at least have a, a presence there so I can be yeah. properly attributed. But yeah, Instagram would be the main uh, platform that I try to produce content through. And then cool. also the the Google Drive, which is linked in my Instagram bio, has all of the written content I have in uh, document form, all organized and labeled, and then some other goodies too. So uh, awesome. if you like what you've heard here and you want to read more, I'd go to that Google Drive. Awesome, man. I will uh, attach that to the episode uh, mm-hmm. information as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for sitting down and chatting shot with me, oh, man. No problem. <laughs> It's always cool to connect with a like-minded individual and just yeah, hear a little bit more, a little bit more about your stuff. I'm always, I'm always happy to be long-winded and just go on and on about these things. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, brother. Mm-hmm. See ya. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.